The committee investigating January 6th turns its focus to Mike Pence and the campaign to pressure him to overturn the election. Highlights from the hearing and the political future of the former vice president. Plus, fighting inflation at the cost of consumers and new steps in the gun debate. It's all ahead right now on this week's edition of In Focus. The House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol continues its work. They held two more public hearings this week, including one focused on the campaign to pressure Mike Pence to overturn the election. Our Washington correspondent, Alexandre Limon, shares the latest findings. The January 6th committee showed evidence and testimony to try to prove that after former President Donald Trump lost the election and the court battles that followed, he then turned to trying to pressure his own vice president to overturn the election for him. The January 6th committee laid out evidence showing former President Donald Trump turned to illegal measures to try to remain president. He latched on to a completely nonsensical and anti-democratic theory that one man, his own vice president, could determine the outcome of the election. Trump and his lawyer, John Eastman, came up with a plan to pressure Vice President Mike Pence to reject the presidential election results. Did John Eastman ever admit, as far as you know, in front of the president, that his proposal would violate the Electoral Count Act? I believe he did on the 4th. Republican lawyers testified that Pence told Trump the Constitution didn't give him the authority to overturn the election. There was no way that they would have put in the hands of one person the authority to determine who was going to be president of the United States. Still, on January 6th, Trump called Pence directly to push him further and pressured him in public and in private. Mike Pence is going to have to come through for us. The vice president's lawyers say despite his public silence, Pence always refused to do Trump's bidding. Vice President Pence understood that his oath of office was more important than his loyalty to Donald Trump. Witnesses said even after rioters came within 40 feet of Mike Pence, when he was taken to a secure location, Trump's lawyer again asked Pence to reject the election results. And now the January 6th committee says it will try to talk to Virginia Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, about her efforts to try to help overturn the election results. In Washington, Alexandra Limo. We have repeatedly reached out to the former vice president's team for a comment on the proceedings. We have not heard back. On the day of that hearing on Thursday, Pence visited with members of the gas and oil industry in Cincinnati. He did not comment on the proceedings in Washington last week, however. He defended his actions on January 6th during a trip to the southern border. I'll always believe that I did my duty that day. And I know in my heart of hearts I did. And I believe that when all the information and the facts come forward, the American people will better understand what occurred. The January 6th committee and much of the political world is focused on Mike Pence this week. It raises questions about the former vice president's next political moves. We spoke with a political science professor from IU about how the spotlight affects Pence's future. I think Mike Pence has always had a, a delicate line to walk here in terms of his own political future. I think the, the Republicans who were opposed to Donald Trump are always going to associate Mike Pence with Trump. We have to remember that for four years, Pence was a very loyal vice president to Donald Trump. 
But on the other hand, Donald Trump's most loyal supporters are not particularly thrilled with Mike Pence for actually, you know, not going through with this plan to overturn the election in 2020. I think Pence's concern at the moment is is more with what his um, potential base of support for a presidency run would look like. I think he's more concerned with winning a certain segment of the American population more than he is with potentially alienating congressional leaders. There are two more committee hearings scheduled for this coming week, one on Tuesday afternoon, another on Thursday. Members say they plan to share evidence that former President Trump pressured state election officials to change the results of the vote. They also plan to discuss the military response to that violent mob. Another top story this week, the Federal Reserve issuing another interest rate hike in an attempt to slow down the historic inflation in the U.S. Inflation was recorded at more than 8.5% in May. The Fed increased its rate of consumer and business loans to about 1.5%. It's the biggest hike since 1994. Fed Chair Jerome Powell says it's necessary for long-term relief. Raising the interest rate is designed to slow down inflation because it can decrease demand and bring more in line with supply. Now, some fear it could slow the economy down enough that it sparks another recession. Our Kristen Eskow explores those impacts and what we can do to get ahead of it. Raising interest rates means it'll be more expensive to borrow money for mortgages and other types of loans. Experts say they anticipate it will have an impact on the housing market and the economy overall. It's the latest in a series of interest rate hikes meant to slow down consumer spending. Financial experts say it's made a difference so far. We've already seen um, a slowdown in mortgage applications. Andrew Butters says the Federal Reserve raised interest rates to help curb inflation. All of us should, should um, feel comfort in that, that they're, that they're taking uh, the um, issues as it relates to inflation very seriously. Financial advisors say in many situations, Hoosiers will just have to be prepared to pay higher interest. On a credit card, it just means you're, you know, you're going to start being charged more interest, so your balance goes up. Andy Mattingly, a form credit union, says homeowners with adjustable rate mortgages will be most affected, along with new home buyers. It wasn't that long ago we were saying a fixed rate mortgage was around 3%. It's already at 6%. Mattingly points out housing is starting to shift from a seller's market to one favoring buyers. The Fed is expected to continue raising interest rates. So if you're looking to take out a home equity loan or a personal loan, Mattingly says it may be better to do it soon. We're in the cycle where those rates are going to start going up for almost every lender. Experts say it's unclear exactly how quickly these higher interest rates will be able to slow down the rate of inflation overall, though they say there could be higher than normal interest rates at least until the end of the year. In Indianapolis, I'm Kristen Escow reporting. Indiana's unemployment rate did not change in May, and it's at its lowest it's been in almost 50 years. In a new report released on Friday, Indiana's adjusted unemployment rate is at 2.2%. That's well below the national average, which also remained the same last month at 3.6%. We spoke with a member of President Biden's Economic Council about that news. We've seen a remarkable recovery in jobs across the country, um, across states, all across America. And this is reflecting the national story that we've heard, which is that um, over the course of the president's term, we've, we, the economy has added 8.7 million jobs. About 63% of Hoosiers are taking part in the labor force. The industries that saw the most growth in May included manufacturing, professional services, and hospitality. 
In less than two weeks, a new Indiana law will take effect that allows Hoosiers to carry a handgun without a permit. The existing law still prevents felons, fugitives, minors, and undocumented immigrants from carrying a gun. Law enforcement has raised concern about how they will enforce the new law. Local and state police departments have been training officers to work under that new law. One thing we want to emphasize is that this law change does not create an opportunity for people to just possess firearms with impunity. This is not an open invitation for everybody to be able to, to carry a handgun. For now, carrying without a license remains a common charge. It's been one week since a bipartisan group of senators revealed the framework of a deal to change America's gun laws. Their ideas have found some support, although one of the Republican negotiators expressed concern going into the weekend. The framework includes a plan to include juvenile records of gun buyers and background checks. It also aims to provide funding for mental health resources and school security measures. It would also encourage more states to enact red flag laws like Indiana's, which make it easier for law enforcement to take firearms away from those who are potentially violent. Eleven Republicans have supported the framework. Others have begun pushing back against some restrictions included in the bill. We asked Senator Todd Young about some of those provisions. If we can't find some way around this that protects uh, Second Amendment rights and, and that brings everyone along, uh, then maybe, at least for the time being, you set that aside and, and figure out if there are things that can get done. There ought to be uh, support around the mental health provisions, irrespective of what happens with respect to um, this uh, boyfriend loophole issue. I commend the people of Indiana for implementing uh, a red flag law at the state level and uh, I, I think that uh, giving resourcing to states like Indiana to properly implement red flag laws makes a lot of sense. We also reached out to Indiana Senator Mike Braun's office to see if he supports the ideas in this framework. We're told he's waiting for a final bill to be written before committing to supporting anything. Both Indiana senators have previously supported many of the individual ideas presented in that framework. Coming up next on this week's edition of In Focus, the riders came for Mike Pence and the former president's team tried to pressure him into changing an election. We're talking through this week's hearing with our panel. Vice President Pence understood that his oath of office was more important than his loyalty to Donald Trump. He did his duty. The House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection spent an entire hearing focused on the pressure put on former Vice President Mike Pence to single-handedly throw out the election results. Let's talk about it now with our panel. With us today in our studio, former Communications Director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner-Chartier, and former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy. And with us on Zoom, UND political science professor Dr. Laura Wilson, and Abdul Hakim Shabazz from IndyPolitics.org. Again, thank you all for joining us. Let's start with that January 6th committee hearing, specifically the pressure on Mike Pence to overturn the election. Now, we knew the outline about what happened, but Mike, I think we learned some very disturbing new details. Oh, absolutely, Bob. I mean, we learned, for example, that uh, the mob that wanted to hang Mike Pence uh, came within 40 feet of actually getting a hold of him and his family. Uh, we also learned that uh, Mike Pence courageously refused to leave the Capitol because he did not want the world to see a U.S. Vice President fleeing his government. Uh, 
Um, I think in tough times, uh, uh, character is revealed. It's not made. And uh, Pence certainly did not shrink. And as a result, I think he saved the republic. Well, Jen, did you learn anything about really how dire the situation was, that Mike Pence's life was literally in danger? Yeah, I mean, I am not your biggest Mike Pence fan for a whole bunch of reasons, but um, what came out this week was illustrative. Um, I will give him credit, uh, as Mike just said, for staying put and for withstanding incredible pressure from his boss, Donald Trump. Um, I think my bigger fear in all of this, though, is that we are the only people paying attention to these hearings, that it's not going to have the effect that it should on this election cycle and the future of our democracy. Uh, I think people have forgotten or have whitewashed over the fact that we were that close to losing control of our government. Let's go ahead and bring in our Zoom panelists right now. Laura, I'll go ahead and start with you. What were your biggest takeaways from that hearing? Well, I think you heard a lot about what was going on maybe behind the scenes that we didn't actually know. Um, if you were like me watching on the news and learning about this here in Indiana, you know, hundreds of miles away, I, we learned that Giuliani and Eastman likely knew what they were doing was illegal, the request for the pardon, um, certainly Mike Pence's role, and he comes out looking really good, even though he already looked pretty good that day itself. Um, I also want to build on Jen's point in terms of who's paying attention. And most of the estimates from last Thursday's opening session had at least 20 million people watching. But it's really easy to forget that months ago, this was a potentially a major crisis for our democracy and our government and, and our entire nation as a whole. So being able to put that in a, a retrospective view and understand that what's what we're learning about, what we're hearing about, all this new information really could have been a major crisis in our nation's history. I think that's really important to remember. Abdul, I want to bring you into our conversation right now. What, what jumped out uh, to you? I mean, again, not brand new information, but really the detail was, was frightening in many cases. Um, I think a lot of things. Uh, number one, Donald Trump uh, calling Mike Pence the P word. Uh, which I thought was completely uh, ridiculous. And, and also an unsung hero in all this, in addition to the vice president, I'll also say is that Capitol Police Guard, who was basically leading that mob away from the vice president, was like 40 feet uh, away. We could have had a major crisis uh, in this government. So for me, uh, it was that, that one Capitol Police officer who sort of led the mob away from the vice president. That really stuck with me. All right, let's go ahead and, and talk about another aspect of the hearing itself. Mike, what type of impact do you think that this hearing is going to have on, on Mike Pence's political future? Well, I think Mike Pence came out uh, as the principled person that he is. I think he's an American hero right now. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that if we we're updating John Kennedy's Profiles and Courage book, there'd be a chapter about Mike Pence. Well, but Mike, I, I would say that there are many Trump supporters that haven't been happy with uh, Mike Pence anyway and probably are less happy with him today if they even watch that hearing, correct? That's true. I'm not saying he's going to become the next president. I'm just saying that he is an American hero. And if you, if you we've all read Profiles in Courage at some point in our lives, those people all didn't end up with a stellar political career. Look at Thomas Hart Benton and others who were driven out of office because of what they believed in. And it's the worst thing that could happen to Mike Pence is not, is, is not to lose the presidential election, but to lose his character. And he kept his character and his courage. All right, Laura, I want to go ahead and bring you into this part of our conversation right now. Uh, I mean, if, if people were watching, do you think that it makes any difference for Mike Pence's political future? Or, or has the die been cast a long time ago? 
Generally, I do think it matters to those who are paying attention. Of course, that's critical, um, but also who may not have a firm opinion so far. So certainly for those who were ardent Donald Trump supporters, and he has a very loyal base of supporters, I don't expect that if they're watching, all of a sudden they feel differently about Mike Pence. They, they probably cast that die, as one would say. Um, but for those who are open and maybe not sure how they stand on the issues, they are learning some new information, and they're questioning what it was they knew before. A lot of times we think of like those moderates or independents, people that aren't diehard loyal supporters on one side or other. I do think it matters. And the biggest question is how many people pay attention, how many people are watching, and how many people are using this information to influence what they think and feel. That's much harder to identify, uh, but that's, that's where you can really see the impact here made. Abdul, a net positive or a, a net negative for Mike Pence this hearing? I think that remains to be seen because uh, although the Trump supporters are not a majority of the Republican Party these days, they are they are a significant plurality, as we've seen in, in a lot of the primaries. The Trump people win uh, when it's a, when a very divided race. So I think over time uh, this will die down a bit. Uh, but Mike Pence, I think I don't think Mike Pence hurt himself uh, in any way, shape, or form this week. All right, let's talk about another budding political story that's happening right now. Mitch Daniels in the news, retiring as president of Purdue. Uh, I mean, Jen, this is a, a different party for you, but uh, if you were to, uh, to bet, would you say that Mitch Daniels would be running for Indiana governor for, uh, for a term after his four years have uh, obviously expired from his previous term? Well, I'm not much of a betting woman. I'll, uh, I'll lead with that, uh, but I would bet no, uh, because I think uh, this is, um, it, maybe it's not a budding story in reality. I think there's a lot of Republicans, and I don't blame them one bit. I'm actually sitting next to one of them right now, my Mitch Daniels fan, number one, uh, but I, I don't think that he's gonna wanna do this. It's a different party, it's a different era. I'm not even sure if he ran again that he would be able to win. I know that's a bold, bold statement, but he, um, comes from a different era. He comes from a more pragmatic era. He comes from a more thoughtful era of Republicans. And right now, that's not what's in charge of the Republican Party. Okay, Mike, have at it. You were the first one I saw on social media talking about well, this. Maybe, maybe not the first, but maybe one of the first. Uh, first of all, I think we have a lot of great potential gubernatorial candidates. One of them, Jim Merritt, was just in our studio uh, last week. You've got so many, almost too many to mention. But if Mitch Daniels gets into the race, he will sweep them all off the, off the basketball floor. One of them has already gone to him, Hollingsworth, has already gone to Mitch and said, if you run, I will not run. And he would be, Hollingsworth normally be in the top two or three, I would think, on the, on the, on the Vegas odds, so to speak. But Laura, I mean, Indiana is a very different place than it was when Mitch Daniels was, uh, was governor. What do you think? It is a different place. Uh, it's all about the candidate's appeal. Uh, he certainly has name recognition and being president of Purdue and, of course, a former governor didn't hurt that. Uh, he has a, a fairly solid record and reputation. The big question is, would that still appeal to Hoosier voters, particularly the Republican electorate? Um, is this who the party wants to see as part of their future? As Mike said, lots of great candidates, potential names that have been thrown out there. Um, and of course, we don't know what Mitch Daniels himself wants, but I do think he would be a strong option if he chose to run. Abdul, we have just a few seconds left in this segment. I, I got to ask you, though, what do you think is going to happen? Um, I, thought, I would not be surprised if Mitch Daniels is seriously considering uh, running for governor right now, again, for a third term, uh, talking to his wife, talking to his family, and I would not be surprised if he actually ended up doing it. All right, our thanks to our panel. Coming up next, one step closer to a vaccine for young kids, the actions that parents should be taking to get ready for those shots.
The FDA endorsing two vaccines for children younger than five years old. The shots will be available soon if the CDC takes the same step. The FDA reviewed shots from both Pfizer and Moderna. The vaccines are formulated for kids between six months and five years old. Each one is a three dose vaccine. Doctors say it's important to get all three doses if you want full protection. Director of Primary Care at Riley Children's Health says as we wait for the vaccines to receive further approval, parents should be talking to their pediatrician. Time for this week's winners and losers. Jen, let's start with you. So I think my winner this week uh, has to be the state Democrats who held a convention with none of the fanfare and uh, excitement that Republicans brought to theirs. And uh, that's probably my loser is that uh, that was a convention that in the weeks leading up to it was filled with just hateful text messages, direct mail that was off the chain. And I'm glad they're both over. Mike, your thoughts? I'd have to say the, the winner is uh, Liz Cheney, the co-chair of the January 6th committee. Um, she may lose her re-election effort in a primary in Wyoming because of her courage, but there's a lot worse things in life than losing a political race. Laura, you're up next. My winners, I actually have a couple. Um, on Friday, the British government announced that they'd be extraditing Julian Assange. The WikiLeaks founder is wanted here on 18 counts of revealing sensitive military information. That's really important. Also, for all the dads out there, happy Father's Day. Thank you for what you do. Abdul, you get the last word. Uh, just one big winner this week, and that was a Capitol security guard who basically saved the Republic by turning the mob away from Mike Pence and causing us some serious issues and serious problems in this country. And by the way, happy Father's Day to everyone, including my own dad. Thanks for joining us this week. Much more on our podcast. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.